This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Time now to turn our attention to the region. Uh, and we start off with Australia's recent acquisition of nuclear powered submarines in a trilateral deal with the United States and the United Kingdom. And that's caused quite a bit of commotion uh, in the international community. Indeed, in particular, it's gotten a sharp response from France, with whom Australia had originally signed a deal in 2016 for diesel-powered submarines. Concerns are now mounting among Australia's immediate neighbours. Of course, we here in Southeast Asia are also feeling the concern, prompting the country to step up its efforts to reassure ASEAN about the implications of the new agreement. So the question, what are some of these implications? Could we be looking at an arms race? Uh, in, if you think about it, it's just right at our backyard in that sense. Uh, up next, yeah. uh, let's head across the causeway, Malaysia. Health authorities there have launched a new portal for vaccinated travellers who are seeking to enter the country to apply for home quarantine. We must remember there was a backlog on the original email process. So we're going to be looking at the new procedure, the country's approach to living with COVID-19, as 80% of adults are now fully vaccinated. Have things improved in Malaysia? Good question. And finally, we travel to Indonesia, where authorities are cracking down on tax evasion. It's seeking to boost uh, government revenues. Uh, Some are saying that the move is desperate. Others are saying it has to be carefully calibrated so you don't spook capital markets. We're going to find out more from a good friend of ours, Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent for The Straits Times, and also the greatest storyteller in the region. Leslie, good morning. How are Mm. you? (laughs) Good morning, Elliot. Good morning, Barty. Good morning, Leslie. Yeah, Let's return to the story that we spoke about first, uh, the AUKUS ruckus. Indonesia and Malaysia have expressed alarm over what looks like potential nuclearization in the region. However, the Philippines obviously has been more positive, noting that this could actually be a way for the bloc to deal with China. Could you walk through these deferring stances and, of course, talk to us about Singapore's stance on this? You know, this clearly caught a lot of people in the region by surprise. And, you know, coming after the U.S. pulled out of, you know, the the fiasco and the U.S. pulled out from Afghanistan, you know, this clearly, I think, would suggest that the U.S. is suggesting that uh, it is not giving up on the region. It sees Southeast Asia as a very important point, particularly trying to counterbalance China. So... Countries have reacted to this differently. Indonesia, which is considered to be the unofficial leader of ASEAN because of its size, and Malaysia feel that this AUKUS deal could lead to a a major arms race. Philippines is a bit more uh, positive. So, uh, and Singapore too, has been a little upbeat, you know. Uh, Prime Minister Lee Sendung, who said in a phone call with Australian Prime Minister that he hoped the deal would contribute constructively to the peace and stability in the region and complement regional architecture. So I think what we need to see and probably what the region will hope for is for Australia to be more reactive, engage with Southeast Asian allies, neighbours, and to explain to them how this thing will will play out. You know? And I think these confidence-building measures are going to be required. It's going to take a lot of diplomacy. Countries would like to see some degree of, you know, being consulted because this thing came out of the blue and just like, you know, France too. You know, France mm. was completely caught 
by surprise by this thing. So you can imagine countries in Southeast Asia. Yeah, and when you see the air of caution that's coming out, you can't help but worry about a couple of things. Obviously, the implications with regard to the South China Sea dispute. I wonder if you know anything about that. And very selfishly, Leslie, and please don't judge me on this, could this affect my Australian wine if uh, maybe trade becomes a problem? <laughs> I mean, you know, we can see that, you know, Australia had to has had to deal with China on that front, you know, for a whole lot of stuff. So I think countries are going to be very careful. I'm concerned with my whether I can get my Pinot Noir too. You know, <laughs> 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 okay, I'm judging the two of you, so. <laughs> so, you know, but I think whether it leads to a potential nuclear arms race left to be seen, I think, you know, you know, countries in the region today are dealing with so many different kind of challenges, you know, from the pandemic to uh, trying to inject greater dynamism to their battered economy. So this really comes as a curveball to the region. It's going to add something on, you know, on the agenda when ASEAN speaks with its partners. And I think even for ASEAN and how they want to deal with this. But clearly it does suggest that ASEAN members matter little when it comes to superpowers and how they operate in the region, especially in dealing with China. I think that is the reality we have to live with. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. But Leslie, it does look as if the damage is done. And to put it bluntly, so what if ASEAN countries are expressing concern? It looks like no amount of concern can change Australia's mind. So what could happen to the multilateral relationship now? What are the possible scenarios? And has Australia perhaps soured its relations with its neighbours beyond repair? Well, I don't think that this is something that is beyond repair. Uh, clearly, Australia will have to double down, get uh, get to work on the diplomatic front, uh, and basically tell its neighbours that look, you know, while we 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 kind of join in the hip with the US on this and with Britain, but you know, the interest of the the region is paramount. I think those kind of concerns need to need to be addressed. Uh, Australia needs to have needs to be more engaged with the region, particularly getting people, uh, countries like Indonesia, Malaysia and Singapore and Philippines too on its side to say, look, you've got to understand where we're coming from. So I think this, these things are going to happen in the coming weeks, coming months, and it's going to play out. But it is something that clearly has changed the dynamics for, for this region and I think what we need to look at is how will China respond to all of this? You know, that is going to be key. Well, I think countries are going to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Leslie. I'm sorry about that. Uh, we're on the yeah. line with uh, Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent for The Straits Times. Um, I, I really want to jump into this issue with regard to Malaysia, Leslie, if you don't mind. Uh, this new portal for vaccinated travellers to apply for home quarantine. Uh, apparently, this is on the backlog of over 6,000 applications. So i got a, a couple of issues, if you don't mind, Leslie. Uh, one, how, how does this new portal, how does the new procedure work? And what does that mean with regard to the hospital situation there? Is it because it's getting better? I think, uh, as you're aware, we've, we hit 80, 80% of adults in Malaysia today are fully vaccinated. I think that's a, that's a good sign. It's after a lot of, quite a number of missteps 
the vaccination rollout has been very aggressive in the last few months, and I think we're seeing the you know the the fruits of that that uh, that campaign. I think this home vaccination thing you can apply now. Uh, there has been a backlog previously. People had to email. Now you can actually go to this portal and deal with it. I think all of this uh, is very mirrors a lot of how Singapore is dealing with this this issue too. And I think Malaysia is taking uh, a number of lessons from how Singapore is dealing with this. And yeah, I think it's it's good as as far as dealing with this thing is uh, with this crisis concerned. Malaysia needs to get the economy back, and that really is at this point the the main uh, the main challenge mm. as for hospitals i'm happy to report that the number of cases you know i think uh, the number of icu beds that are being freed up are improving quite a bit uh, to, uh, throughout the region but you know we have problem spots i mean let's not run away from that the malaysia has problems so places like sabah Sarawak, you know are having uh, uh, spikes in the number of infections spikes in the number of uh, serious infections too. So on paper, it is good. Uh, The numbers are showing a lot of positive. But, you know, there are challenges that the government has got to deal with. And like anywhere else, you you know, we've seen ups and downs in the pandemic, you know, just like in Singapore too. So it's, it's really, you know, dealing with the situation as we as as it plays out, and you know, the government needs to be nimble, you know, nimble and you know, be very very um, adapt in dealing with this thing. Yeah, I think that applies to most governments today as well. Let's move to Indonesia now, Leslie. There is a crackdown on tax evasion that the country is undergoing right now, that the government is executing, and it's doing this to build up government revenues, which obviously have been badly hit by COVID-19 and the effects of the pandemic in general. How feasible is this really, given how prevalent corruption is in Indonesia? Well, you know, um, we, we know that's a huge problem in Indonesia. And uh, what we've seen is people returning to cash because of the government's crackdown on how you know trying to trying to figure out uh, using credit card transactions as a way to to try and track tax evaders. So this clearly is causing a return to cash. You know, I mean, which is which is uh, which is which is very very prevalent in Indonesia. Uh, people carry hordes of cash. You know, previously, I remember when I was living in Jakarta for the for the Business Times before, and uh, you know, you had to pay an exit fee uh, each time you left the country. You know, it was one way the government raised their revenues from people who you know who were not paying their taxes. You know? mm-hmm. So, but even people who were paying their taxes got whacked with this with mm-hmm. this charge too. So, this is something that you know, I think Indonesia uh, the they, there's a desperate need to raise revenues, especially after you know how government revenues have been battered by this uh, by this uh, health crisis, yeah. and also I think the the issue here in Indonesia is how they're trying to boost it. But you know this is going to be in a country as large as Indonesia, it is going to be tough. You know people are going to return to cash. Cash is is king in Indonesia. You know, and uh, the credit cards are only available to very small portion of the of the public. You know, so people generally still rely on cash. You know? Yeah. 
We've been speaking with Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent for The Straits Times. Uh, appreciate your time, Leslie, and glad to know the situation in Malaysia is slowly improving because there's yes. a Pinot Noir waiting for you here, no? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be nice. <laughs> coming soon, coming soon. Thanks again, Leslie. Take care and stay safe. Thanks, Elliot. Thanks, Bobby. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.